The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald and you're listening to Blethered on the Big Light Network. My guest is Evie Burnett. Evie is an opera singer and vocal coach to the stars, working with A-list names in music from Sam Smith to Lewis Capaldi. Evie tells me about her own journey as a performer and the challenges of work and being a mother. You'll hear about how a chance conversation with Louis Walsh led to her becoming the resident vocal coach on Simon Cowell's X Factor. And we chat about Evie's new series, Scotland Sings, on BBC Scotland and why you don't want to miss it. And as always, there's plenty more. So if you enjoy this episode, share it with somebody that you think might enjoy it too. This episode is brought to you by debt experts don't fret about debt. If you're struggling with debt and would like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly repayments towards debt, then visit don'tfretaboutdebt.net forward slash blethered. You can also listen to my episode with Don't Fret About Debt Senior Debt Advisor Tommy Gallagher, where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't Fret About Debt offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland, helping you to make an informed choice. So take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it. Cheers. What is it with Scottish people that we can hear another Scottish accent for like a hundred yards? Do you want to tell the story of what just happened outside? <laughs> it was very funny. So I'm like, you know, I didn't, I had heard you, but I didn't exactly know what you looked like, yeah. but apart from, you know, a wee photo. And, a, and I I was just walking along and I heard this pure Glaswegian accent and I thought, I just turned around, I thought that's him. It's got to be. Has to be him. And we weren't talking about anything that I would have recognised no. you by, apart I, from the fact you were just talking. Yeah, I'll tell the story of what I was talking about. I was messaging voice messaging former blethered guest um, John O'McLeod who's in New York who's going to be I think he's going to be speaking to Bono tonight um, I think 99.9% they'll be seeing each other after right. um, so I was asking him to ask a question and I hope he does ask it although it was like half taking the piss are we going to know what the question is? yeah I'll see it so I wanted John to ask Bono um, if you know the way like sometimes if you're about to fall asleep and your brain goes by the way before you fall asleep just remember this embarrassing moment from X amount of years ago. And I want Jono to ask, Rhymes done it. I want Jono to ask, ask Bono, Bono if he thinks about the time when he was performing in San Francisco, probably in the midst of the Troubles, at the height of the Troubles. And somebody was holding up a banner which said, SF loves you too. And he went on a five minute rant about the destructive qualities of Sinn Féin and the IRA and stuff, only to then have it pointed out. <laughs> That it just meant San Francisco loves you too. Oh my god! And word. I was like, he's shouting at this guy, and he's like, "Fuck you, man!" And the poor guy's probably holding up the sign, like, "What the hell is Sinn Fein, and why is Bono going <laughs> absolutely mental?" Did at me? he? I mean, you know, did he apologise to the guy later? I mean, the guy's a proper fan, and he's come and said that. And I'm then... going to have to look into it, but it's one of the funniest things ever. But it's just like you that couldn't write it. Pure no, Dave, you couldn't. You couldn't make that up. Pure David Brentism. 
Um, here's a question. I don't know if this will take, catch you by surprise or not. Oh, my word. I don't like the sound of that. But I'm, oh, before you go into that, I'm just wondering, you said that you phoned a blithered guest. Yes. In the middle of the night. I, no, no, no. That, that, do you mean just there? Oh, no, no, no. You were phoning him just now. You're yeah, that's who I was sending yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, the voice note to. the voice note to. She's in New fine. York, so, I mean, they're five hours behind, so I'll be like, oh, pfft. 10 a.m. No, I was happening. just wondering, as being a blethered guest, whether you're going to start be phoning me all the time. Oh, I will. <laughs> you best put me on mute or something because I'll yeah. just be phoning you constantly. Like, Here, I've got a question. Yeah, like, you mate, can mute. You yeah. can mute things, can't you, for like eight hours or yes. like eight days. Mute me for always because <laughs> I'll be phoning you at three in the morning. <laughs> um, right, if I say these words, I want you to, if if it does strike a chord, describe to me where it takes you. Five gold rings. Oh, my word. <laughs> it takes me... I'll be too loud for your microphone if I go, five gold rings. That's what it takes me. Which was just a complete... Speaking about embarrassing situations, you know, it takes me back to being seven or eight years old. And that was how I sounded. Mm. But back when you, you'd, you'd have been Yvonne Charlton at that point? No, that's my married name. I would have been Yvonne Burnett. Oh, right, right, right. Yvonne Burnett. Oh, and, so that's uh, your married So I've got my wires crossed. You've got your wires crossed. My right, name's okay. Yvonne Burnett. Right, OK. Or Burnett, as Burn- I say yeah. down here, because, uh. you know, if you're in London, <laughs> nobody knows what Burnett is. You've become anglicised. Um, but, no, I was at school and everybody else was singing, you know, like where we choir boy voice you know on the first day of Christmas like that and then I came out with that and it was the first time I realised I'd got an operatic mm. sounding voice so you didn't know you could sing that way no nah, not at all it's just so how where, it sounded where did it come from or, because if everybody else you know like the way kids are you do what the other, or the other kids are doing and especially yeah. at that point, and yeah. we'll go on to talk about the whole northeast thing. It's a Scottish thing, isn't it? Of containing you stay in your fucking box, and yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't get out of that because you did say. You know, I'm sure you've previously said that if you weren't brought up in the northeast of Scotland, you would have remained a singer and not a vocal coach because you would have been more front and centre. It's probably true. Mm. It's probably true. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think the thing is that. Uh, what were you asking before we went on to that? <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. So have I, to be honest. Well, I was asking about how how did you know that that you could sing that way? Because usually kids would just do what other kids are doing. Yeah. So for you just to come out with this is quite unusual, isn't it? It was really unusual. And and um, I honestly didn't know. You know, you didn't really hear your own voice. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So you didn't. I didn't know it was going to sound different from everyone else. Yeah. And I didn't know it was a big deal. Obviously, I think maybe I would have sort of tried to sing like other people if I could have, but I just couldn't. My voice was like that from from that age. Mm. Um. And then it became a bit of a novelty. Oh my goodness, she sounds like that, and she's seven years old, or you know. So yeah, so it was just like singing chose me. I didn't choose it. What was what was then the the sort of path that followed? Were you just told, right, you're going to do this because you've got this talent, or was it a sort of an uh, amalgamation of that and you also being like, I really enjoy this, I'm good at it? Oh, I loved it. You know, I I really enjoyed it. I was doing lots of um, musicals and fun things and and um, and just singing with choirs and things, mm. which was just it was just good fun. It became my sort of um, leisure activity. It just became the thing that I did and the thing where I met my friends and and um, there was never a feeling of oh I'm nervous or mm. oh I don't like doing it. I obviously liked showing off. I was obviously that kind of a kid. <laughs> yeah. you know? I was in, I, I went to school. I went to school in Essex for a few years and when I was there so between 
the ages of five and eight. And I was in a choir and I love singing. I was always like, I want to be a singer, but there's one crucial missing factor. Um, can I sing? <laughs> like, I'm absolutely terrible. And I kind of then fell away from it. But for you, for it being a leisure activity, where does it then start to become a professional pursuit? Because I dare say, again, not to denigrate or put down Aberdeen, but I kind of see it being this hotbed of cultivating musical performing talent. No, I was lucky because I lived near this place called Hadda House and Hadda House is like a National Trust property, but they had a choral society there. And this woman called Lady Aberdeen, she kind of mentored me, encouraged me, put me in all her her little operas and things. And um, so a lot of people saw me and then asked me to do gigs, asked me to do uh, little concerts here and there and everything. So Mm. I was just performing as a young age. And it just, you know, like, like pop people do, you know, I wasn't doing pop, I was doing opera and classical music, but you're still sort of asked to go and sing somewhere or I was just Mm. known as a singer. And, um, you know, it it just it just happened. But as you say, there was nobody going, oh, here she is. You know, we're going to sign her up. And, uh, and there was yeah. none of that. Showbiz it was just, baby, none of uh, that. No showbiz in, in uh, Methlick, where I come from. But it just kind of just happened. Where did you, did you go on to study? I went on to study at the Scottish Academy, or all Scottish Academy of Music and Drama, oh, right. um, which oh, is right. now the Conservatoire. Yeah. But, you know, it was it was an amazing place. Um, also for drama you know a lot yeah. of um, actors you see on your telly now you know they started there as well not just singers and musicians it was uh, just a yeah. hotbed of talent great place you, to study you mentioned Alan Cumming yeah. when we were coming up so yeah, yeah, you, yeah. was he in your year or yeah. your type of thing Alan Cumming was in the <clears> drama <throat> department so we all knew you know we were the music students and the singing students but we knew we knew the drama students in fact I think we had to kind of teach them singing and they right, had yeah. to teach us acting as uh-huh. part of the course you know and, and things like that so we knew everybody it was a really small close-knit kind of place and um, you know it was great what was it like coming from is it, a wee, is it outside Aberdeen you're from oh I'm from a tiny little village right like, like 20 miles northeast. What's that like then, coming to to Glasgow? Terrifying, really. I mean, I think now, I think to myself, I can't quite believe that I did that. To go from Methlick to Glasgow at age 18 and just live there, you know, and there are no mobile phones and stuff like that. So I don't know how my mum and dad didn't panic about me being, not in Aberdeen, but yeah. in Glasgow, and you know. Did Glasgow have the air of notoriety back then as well? Because it's certainly, well, I love Glasgow more than anything. It's it's home, even though I've lived away for like the last 10 years. But I'm also aware that if you're not from there, it's got this perception of mm, yeah I think it. I think you're right there is, there is a perception of, of Glasgow but I never knew I was like naively yeah. just like had a clue uh, didn't I know I would have been walking down the wrong street I wouldn't have had a clue you know <laughs> yeah. I wore really weird outfits for my age my friends all laugh at me because you know I would be like wearing a twin set in pearls and I thought I'd switch my phone off that's alright um, I like that with stuff right, there's this interrupt. is real real this stuff is, this is it Emily I'm doing a podcast so I've got to go because I shouldn't have my phone on Emily you're in trouble Emily you're in trouble <laughs> <laughs> bye <laughs> well it was obviously on silent Supposed to be on silent, but it wasn't even on silent, right? Off. Aye. No, I was I was just like wearing <clears throat> twin set and pearls and high heels and yeah. you know, ridiculous 
I wasn't trendy at all. I mean, I would say I've got younger as I've got older. Mm. I was old before my time, opera singer, classical yeah. person. You Couldn't know, so. a certain image. Yeah. What happens after when you when you graduate? Was it straight to London? Was that the sort of the mecca? Is that where you wanted to head? Yeah, well, I went to London because I kind of had to if I was going to pursue um, any more uh, studying. And you've got to study a blooming long time with uh, opera. Mm. It's like being a doctor. You know, you're studying and studying and studying. So I went on and specialised then, went to the um, Guildhall School of Music and Drama in London, and right. then I was picked for the National Opera Studio, which is a very small group of people who then are sponsored by opera companies. So then I started mm. working in opera. So And was that... How then, because I, I, I will get to the point when Louis Walsh kind of comes to you and he like wants to handpick you, but between that, were you were you performing? Because were you thinking, I want to remain front and centre? How does that point come where you take the, the step back, if, so to speak? So I performed as an opera soloist, absolutely loved it, and then I had children. And when you have children and you're doing opera, you're away for like three months at a time, maybe in another country or mm. or on a somewhere for three months. So it's fine when they're babies, you just take them with you. Or I took a nanny with me and I had, you know, I'd be have two bedrooms rather than one bedroom so the nanny could stay. And that was fine. But then when they need to go to school, where are you going, mummy, for three months? You know, yeah. it just doesn't work. So I was doing less and less. And um, just at the right moment, sort of Louis came along and offered me an opportunity I couldn't have turned down. And I thought, you know what? Telly, that's just, yeah. you know, that's performing. That sounds exciting. I, I'd love this. And I'm kind of based at home. So the, it was just sort of no-brainer to just do it. Before I ask about that, and I've got loads of stuff I like to know, that I'll call it my tabloid segment, but I just want to ask questions about, about the X Factor and stuff. But before we get to that, and this isn't me doing the whole, aren't I a very progressive feminist? But do you know, I think it's a wee bit unfair that, see, you are feeling that guilt about being away and stuff, but if it was your husband or if it was another guy, then it's like, oh, career man, like you're doing absolutely brilliantly for your family. But when it's the the mum, then it's, it's looked at differently, isn't it? And you must then have to then wrestle with that guilt. And it seems to me as if you're nailing it on both accounts anyway. I think it's interesting, interesting that you say that because at that time, you know, we're talking um, nearly 30 years ago when I had my children, my daughter's mm. going to be uh, 29. So, so I don't think, you know, it was just what we did. Yeah. You know, I think things have progressed and now we would probably think, I would say to my husband, well, which one of us, you know, we should share this. And I, But at that time, I didn't even think. I just thought to myself, you need to be home more. I wanted to be home more. Yeah. And, and it kind of felt right. But you're absolutely right. I think that women, we do have this guilt thing. Yeah. And, and I don't know if men have the same way. No, Maybe we're doing men a disservice. Maybe they do, but... So, yeah, I think there'll be a lot. There's no way you can wear a broad brush stroke, just generalise everybody. And again, I'll preface this or I'll keep saying, I'm not trying to go, I am the I am the exception to the rule. I might even probably have the same tendencies. It's even like when you see guys saying stuff like, um, oh, I'm babysitting my kids. Like, mate, you're not babysitting your fucking kids. They're <gasps> yours. No, You exactly. can't see you're babysitting your own kids, you absolute roaster. That's not <laughs> how it works. But people, we, I think... Sometimes, you know, my husband, he's really good that way, you know, and he yeah. understands it. We've always had a partnership in it. But um, and the other night he says to me, I washed your dishes. <laughs> and, and anyway, I, I mean, I washed the dishes. Aye, aye. But it is easy to sort of say, oh, I've done the hoovering for you. You know, yeah, no, mate, you haven't hoovering. done the hoovering we, for me. You know, we both so. stay here. I, I've, I've taken your job and I've, I've, happened, I've taken it just for today to give you a wee break. This is about you, but I, I have to talk about your husband, Gordon. Yes, did not realise that he was heavily involved with one of my all-time favourite bands, Deacon Blue. Uh -huh. In fact, Doogie Vipond is coming on here soon. 
Oh, I love Is he a pal of yours? Well, um, yeah, really good. Really good, mate. I mean, Doogie introduced us. D- did he really? Yeah. But that's going to be a nice wee opener then for when, when yeah. he's uh, in the studio up in Glasgow. It's all his fault. Yeah, it see was, what he uh, did, Doogie. Yeah, he used to share a flat with Doogie. And he took me down to London. Well, the band, because I knew all the guys, they said, oh, you've got to come to our first big show in London at the Hammersmith Apollo, which it was then. It's Odeon now, I think, or other way around, whatever. But anyway, we went there and they introduced me to the man that signed him. And wow. I married him. That's amazing, isn't it? So, Talk about serendipity. Love Deacon Blue. Really yeah, love Deacon I Blue. I love them. Oh, I don't think I've ever danced and sung along so much to a, an act, yeah, a band, as I, I did on those Deacon Blue nights when we ah. would just sing every word at every song. So they, they played, I couldn't get tickets, this must have been 2018, I didn't get a ticket for the Hydro, but I was living in Barcelona at the time. They are playing the Hydro, and then they played, a, oh, I can't remember what it's called again. There's this club, right? And when I say it's around the corner from my flat, I mean, it's for, if the door of this studio in Farringdon, it's maybe like where the entrance to Farringdon Tube is, that close. 200 people in it, maybe you'd get Max and Deacon Blue were playing. And uh, I was I was on holiday. Like oh. I was in Cyprus or something. I was raging, absolutely raging. When would you ever get the chance to see them in such a small place? And I bet you could have spoke to them because I would have just shouted and they would have heard the accent. Over yeah. the Catalan rabble. You could have done. Oh, well, that would have been brilliant just to be a local and they'd be there. Well, uh, Ricky was our best man. I mean, That's and so cool. uh, <laughs> um, Mandy, Doogie's ex wife, is a really close friend of mine. Right. So, you know, I've kind of like, what, they're, they're very, very much part of our lives. What's quite Blue. funny about uh, like the generational thing as well, because I remember when I first got into Deacon Blue, maybe I was 10, 11. And I was like, no way, why is the guy for sports here on the drums? Because to me, he was a guy that did sports and he wasn't like Doogie Vipe on part yeah. of Deacon Blue, which is actually when you, th- see, when you really think about it, because maybe to you, you've known him and you've seen it happen gradually, that process. But to somebody who doesn't, you'd be like, wait, what? How are you doing these two jobs? They're not connected in any way. And I almost forgot that when you were talking to me about being a Deacon Blue fan, I almost forgot that that when I knew Deacon Blue, you weren't born. Aye. That's, That's funny, just crazy. I know. Um, how how did Lou end up coming to you to say coming? So Gordon, my husband, as you know, was mm-hmm. like um, a director of Sony very early on. You know, he was like big shot in the music industry yeah. um, when I met him, and so that was really why I kind of gave up my singing because he had a you know he had a really big job and he was really busy, so mm-hmm. it was easier if I was at home. And he sort of said. Um, <laughs> It was with Louis Walsh one day and Louis Walsh said, oh, I'm looking for a, a vocal coach for my show, The X Factor. And we'd watched the first series and loved it. And uh, Steve Brookstein Munner was that? I, that's right. Yeah. But I didn't, I wasn't anything to do with it then. And um, But we loved the show. And um, Louis said, and Gordon says to him, well, my wife's a, a vocal coach, which was rubbish. I was actually a singer. But he, <laughs> he thought, oh, she could she teach people. She could do that, <laughs> and, uh, and he went, oh, really? Oh, okay, I'd like to meet her. He says, but who's she look like? <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say, like he said, yeah, you've got all the qualifications and you tick every box, but you look good, so you can be on TV as well. It kind of was a wee indication of the sort of fickle, shallow yeah. nature of the show and it television. It was funny. It was just funny because Gordon has always been well. He like his Twitter and stuff is Chubby Charlton. <laughs> right. He's not big now, but that's another story. But he was always big, right? And so <laughs> Louis Walsh is very funny. He's not like that politically correct sometimes, and yeah. he sort of said, "Is she a bit of a munter?" <laughs> 
And then Gordon goes, oh, I'll show you a picture. And uh, and Lou goes, oh, right, I'll have her. She says, oh, yeah, I'm, I want to run my show. So, so Lou and I had kind of like a blind date or an arranged date. Right. And uh, we were meant to meet for coffee. And I think we ended up going for lunch and spending the whole afternoon together. And, there you go. And we just hit it off. Job done. What was, I mean, sorry, so that would that have been the second series of The second X Factor? Series. Which would have been 2007? So I'm muddled up myself. I always get muddled up in the years. Um, it was Leona. Leona Lewis, right, yeah. yeah. So it would have been, I think it was maybe five or six. Is she still kicking a ball, Leona Lewis? Is she gone? Yeah, yeah. She's doing really well. She's still doing a lot. Um, I still work with her. You right. know, we, we don't work all the time. We just sporadically, you know, she'll... Mm-hmm. The hair or manager will come on the phone and say, oh, can we do some sessions? Can we do it on Zoom? So she's got a tune I still listen to to this day, Better in Time. I love Better in I Time. Because everybody always thinks Bleeding Love, like Better in Time is... Better in Time makes me happy. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's just something about the track and the... Just, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Really nice. Let's go through some of the acts that you have worked with. The ones that I could think of, because I was, I was trying to do this organically, right, so that I can genuinely get it from you and react spontaneously. I mean, One Direction are the ones that stick out. Uh, Little Mix, Alexandra Burke. Who am I forgetting? Um, oh, you're forgetting Leon Jackson. Leon Jackson, <laughs> Whitburn. I'm, I'm not laughing at Leon Jackson. I'm just laughing because, you know, people sort of, with the X Factor, it's very easy for people to have their favourites and yeah. then other ones they almost forget happened. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And if people are not still in the public eye or they haven't seen them for a while, it's, funny it's that, a strange it? show. You know, you can be so big one minute and then and then not. I mean, there's Joe McKeldry, Holly Mars, GLS. Who am I forgetting you know? GLS? So uh, X, X Factor days, you know, it was it was exciting stuff. I mean, there'll be more that we're not even thinking about, and I'm forgetting them as well. Yeah, it was um, it was absolutely huge. Wasn't Wagner, it? <laughs> remember? <laughs> I have right, I need to tell this story, right? I need to tell this story, and I, I don't know. I think I've told it before, but I'll tell it again. So years ago, my girlfriend at the time worked in the Garfield Hotel, and like I think it comes under steps. Right, so like sort of northeast Glasgowish, and uh, how did this come up? She's like, guess who was in my work? I went, who? So she worked like weddings and stuff. So I'm trying to remember how this all played out. I said who, and she went, remember that Mary Byrne, the Irish woman for X Factor? Yeah. I says, aye, aye, and she went, guess who she was with? And I went, who? And she went, Gunther, and I was like, Gunther, as in Gunther, and she went, aye, Gun- Gunther, and I was like. Wait, what? Why? Like the two of them were together. She's like, yeah, yeah, her and Gunther. Going on, on. So I'm like, what the hell? And I was saying, why though? And she's like, I don't know. The pals in there. And I'm going, but how are they pals? And they, honestly, this kept me up for weeks, like scratching my head, like how the and what world do these coincide and then go to a wedding and steps together? Fast forward about four weeks, Wagner comes on the TV and she goes, oh, there's my pal Gunther. And I was like, you, I says, you've kept me awake for weeks. And I was like, that's Wagner dafty. And she goes, oh, right, right, okay, I get mixed up with him. There was always a novelty act, wasn't there? Rylan was one of them. Jedward? Jedward. How could we forget Jedward? They've become like social political commentators, haven't they? Or like agitators in the media. Oh, they've gone a bit crazy, haven't they? I, know. I mean, what are the... They're, they're scary, some of the stuff they come out with, really. I know. What was, um, 
what was Wagner like? Did you? I didn't spend an awful lot of time with him. To be so fair. he wasn't a, really. He was just a novelty sort of. Well, I think it's a shame though that it was at the expense of somebody that could have been there. But yeah, but it's the X factor. You know, it's not yeah. the voice. Yeah, it's true. not. That was the whole thing about the X factor. Mm. It was a case of who was the most entertaining. Mm. And that, that's what made it interesting because you yeah. had to shout at your telly. And I think we got away with so much. The show was very, very funny because, like, remember Sharon and, and Louis? They used to cry laughing at people. Yeah. Well, they couldn't do that now. Remember somebody went to, uh, somebody ran over to throw a glass of water over Louis and he did it first? Yeah. Launched it. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah, I yeah. Some, Actually, the other week, just in my hotel, I'm just sitting and I'll type in X Factor's funniest moments. And but some of it will make you pure laugh I suppose it kind of takes me on to the next thing where there's the whole it's a wee bit cruel at times wasn't it well, let's be honest it's a wee bit shady it's, yeah I mean now you know things have changed and yeah. that you wouldn't be able you would say you were bullying if you laughed yeah. at people the way that we all at home were actually laughing at people it made the show very funny yeah. but I suppose they wouldn't get away with that now I don't think they meant it nastily. Yeah. You know, some people probably came on thinking they were going to be laughed at, but they just wanted to get on the show. It's quite, um, it's quite, what do you call it? It's a very multifaceted topic, isn't it? You're like, yeah, it can be a bit shite to laugh at people, but at the same time, somebody who's really compass mentis wants to come on and do that, and you're like, do you infantilise people and say, no, you don't know what you're doing, you're too childish for this? And it's No, exactly. Yeah. And, and But it's, are they actually deluded or are they very clever? Yeah. Because they know that if they come on and they sing really, really badly, but they're very funny and they've yeah, got some yeah. gimmick, they're going to be on the show. And so they're going to be well known and get a career out of it. So <laughs> you just don't know. Yeah, my conclusion on it is that it was of its time. Because, yeah. yeah, there would be people criticising it, but it's very easy to fast forward 10, 15 years and look back in retrospect when you're in a different society and go, actually, that's terrible. Like, yeah, well, you, you want to do it now, but at the time, everybody was in on it. It's something that, like, the whole of the UK would be talking about it, wouldn't they? I like, remember they used to sort of go on the tube on a Monday morning and people would literally come up and say, oh, my goodness, I didn't think so-and-so <clears throat> would go out because, of course, they went out straight away, you know, oh, on yeah. the, on a Saturday night or whatever. I can't, I'm, I'm muddle up with my days, but, uh, you know, they really, really were invested in it. People mm. were so upset if the wrong person went out. Absolutely and now, like, people wouldn't be, so many people wouldn't be watching for a start, but the country wouldn't have this real investment in a show like that. And yeah, it was great true. times when they did. There's even some of the, some of the covers still, like, I still listen to to this day. So, for example... Matt Cardo covered the first time ever I saw your face mm -hmm. in like December 2010 fast forward 13 years and I'm still like oh stick that on that was brilliant so it's pr it was proper how old were you <laughs> 2010 I, I was now to be 19 yeah Aye, still stuck in my head I've also I'm I'm, I'm fair weird my music taste is very but that's a good age to be an X Factor fan because you were obviously you were a teenager in the years when X Factor was really, really good yeah. and really, really exciting. So yeah. you'd be perfect. You know, your age group of people are the ones who loved it and who yeah. knew all the people. And you It know. was brilliant. What Your daughter must have absolutely loved it because you were taking the kids, weren't you? And she's getting to hang about with One Direction and all that. that even now oh. she must be pinching herself at that. Oh, she, she loved it at the time, both of them. So my son and my daughter, you know, they used to come along 
every week mm. and um, you know sit in the audience and they got to bring their mates and they were just but I think it's quite sad really because Emily my daughter sort of says well I never knew if people liked me or if they just wanted to come to the X Factor <laughs> oh it's a shame <laughs> you know because they all knew that somebody yeah. one week they would get to come oh, with her yeah, and yeah. Uh, and but you know she would sit with the boys you know the One Direction boys just in the dressing room just hanging out with them mm. not even thinking oh they're going to go on to be big superstars very that. odd really if you think about it could now. you could you tell that they were going to head that way I remember at the time because they would have been like three four years younger than me and there was women five ten fifteen years older than me that were obsessed with them I remember thinking this is really strange like this is pretty bizarre I've never seen anything like this I think the reason we knew was because there were fans outside there were always fans outside mm. for everybody you know we had a huge um, queue of people to come in and to queue to get tickets to come in but when it was ex- uh, when it was One Direction year it was different you know they were quite obsessive the fans outside mm-hmm. and screaming and I remember being in say a car with the boys you know and you know they were banging at the windows and <laughs> It was just really odd. Actually, I saw Niall last week. And Did he's, you? Uh, he's still looking great. He's looking better than ever. I, I was. Yeah, I watched him. Well, I didn't watch, but I listened to him and I saw a wee bit of him because I had a podcast on while I was packing my case, actually. And he was on the Peter Crouch podcast. I don't know if you ever heard it. It was, oh, yeah, yeah. It was funny. But I was thinking, I was like, he looks brilliant. No, he does. He just looks great. I just, I sent him, bloody hell, you know, you look really, really good. Because he had quite, <laughs> I don't think he'll mind me saying, but he had like, did he have, hair that was blonde you know like when you used to before you got highlights you had this thing called a cap and you used to yeah, pull yeah. it pull, <laughs> pull the blonde through and then just dye it and then take off the cap well that's how they did it but that it always looked true. a bit like that you yeah. know whereas now he's very suave looking yeah. and his, his quiff and yeah he's got the thick hair yeah, it's it, fabulous I think he was talking about um, I think he said like from the age of whether it was 17 or 18 that was it mm? you just went I think Harry Styles I remember hearing him say or it was his mum he was like, he went to the X Factor one day and he's never come back. And you're like, that's really profound. Like, as, as a parent, like, that must be very difficult. And then for them, so see, like, when Harry speaks in a weird accent, or Liam Payne has been acting very, very bizarre. Like, real, to the point where you're like, I really pity you because you've not got a friend in the world. Because if you did, they would give you a bang in the head and, like, mate, get a grip. But... They're, they're, they're behaving very weirdly, but they also have lived in weird circumstances in a weird bubble for like over 50% of their life now. So you can kind of, yeah, you need to have a bit of a, a bit of leeway. Yeah, you do forget that it's, that it is, um, but Harry, I mean, I saw Harry, when did I see Harry? The Brits? And he's just the same as ever, I really. You know, I mean, just the same as ever in that, you know, you're in the corridor talking to him and people are rushing him out and moving him along. And, uh, you yeah. know, it's it's kind of his life's not his own. And well, I'm sure it's not like that always. Mm. And I think he hid away in to do his album at somebody's house. Do you know what I mean? So that he yeah. doesn't get bombarded the whole time. But if you're Harry Styles, you'd never get peace, would no, you? No, you wouldn't. I can, and I can let you can let him off because he seems pretty much unaffected yeah I think so and I'll so. let him off with the American twang because I'm really hard on people when their accents change yeah but again there are extenuating circumstances I must say when I saw him the other you know and that's reasonably recently he was just lovely yeah. same as ever seems like a cool guy I always said him and I would be the two I'd be pals with if I was ever going for a night out if you're like me and you enjoy going out for a drink in Glasgow but you can get a wee bit bored of the same faces in the same places then get yourself along to Blue Dog on West George Street Blue Dog has been going strong for 20 years and it's now even better after a recent refurb and a new drinks menu. 
There's live music every night from Tuesday to Sunday with the very best in both new and established talent. Ed Sheeran even gave an impromptu performance back in 2014. On top of that, £1 from every signature Blue Dog cocktail will go to Musicians Against Homelessness. So your good time will contribute to an even greater cause. So get yourself along to Blue Dog. I wanted to ask you about Susan Boyle, because quite obviously such a massive one. Did you work with her in Britain's Got Talent? I did. What was she like? Well, Susan and I became very close because it was... It was funny. I was in, on holiday in America and I used to get um, CDs, DVDs of the acts I was going to be working with so mm. that I could sort of have seen them. This is before people had seen it on the telly. I had my, my DVDs ready of them so that I could practice, you know, working out what I'd want to do with them, what songs would suit them, blah, mm. blah. And um, so... I had this with me on, on holiday and suddenly there was all this news about this woman, Susan Boyle, and her her thing was being shown, her episode was being shown in America and she was huge. I thought, well, I'd better look at my DVDs then. Because, <laughs> I mean, this is before I'd even, you know, bothered to do That's my homework. Right, right? And so I knew about her, you know, immediately, even though I wasn't in the country. And, um, and um, when I first met her, I think the first day I met her, she came in with a feather boa on <laughs> and sort of flounced in going, here I am, you know, Fair and enough. I thought, right, okay. Okay, this one's going to be interesting, and uh, she certainly was. Mm. But um, we got close, and I think we it was it was clear quite early on that it was going to be a heck of a lot for her to deal with. Yeah, and the nerves were just you know she was it, it was out of control. You know the way she was because from the very start she'd got like Japanese tourists knocking at her door and. Imagine and she that. was going to come on in and have a biscuit, you know, because she didn't know anything different. Aye, and just being herself. Yeah. So surely that's going to be made into a film soon, because that is pure Disney, or, or whatever the musical equivalent of Royal Rovers is, just to go from obscurity and normality to absolute superstardom. I think so. Um, I don't think. I can't think of any other example where no, it's been either. been just like that. I mean, when she went to the Priory, and, and it was well documented, she was in the Priory, and um, then she came out of the Priory and thought, well, what are we going to do with her? You know, mm. we can't put her to our house. So they put her in my house oh, and she sort of moved in with us, and um, <laughs> which was uh, really good. Your kids must be, are they just used to this? <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah. oh yeah, there's Auntie Susan Boyle. Yeah, it was kind of funny. She was having a breath. So the good thing was because I had kids and she was in my house and I think she'd just come out of there and she was really finding her feet because I had so much routine in my house because mm-hmm. the kids had to get up at a certain time. They had to go to school. They couldn't be quiet. Mm. You know, they had to go to, go to have a shower, whatever. You know, she was going to be woken yeah, up. Yeah. So she got up every morning at the same time. She had breakfast with the kids, took the kids to school. We came back and then her and I started working on her album. So we had a, a little work routine, then we'd stop, have lunch, pick up the kids, blah, blah. you know, so I think that did her good. So was this the time. first album? First album. So the two questions, the first one I wanted to ask was, did you feel excitement? Because this is a, a singer who's very much in your world of music. Did you feel as if you would be able to have your proper input and, and influence on that? Yeah, right. I did. I did feel that I had a lot of, yeah, I did feel I enjoyed working with Susan mm. because I enjoy working with vocal technique is the same whether I'm working with an opera singer or a pop singer yeah. what I do mainly is I look after the instrument I'm, I treat them like an athlete and I work it so they don't hurt themselves and they can get as 
high notes as I can and as low notes as I can mm. and sing as well as I can. So it doesn't really matter who I'm working with, but I did enjoy working with somebody who I could sing their songs myself, yeah. which obviously I'm not going to do with all of my singers. I should get some tips off you because see when I'm at Celtic Park on a Saturday... If it's a big game, my voice is gone till the Wednesday. We definitely need to work on it. I'm going to bring you my book. Yes, I'll be <laughs> It's called Yes, You Can Sing, and that's directed at you. Yeah, I mean, well, you can sing without hurting yourself, but you can't sing without hurting other people's ears. That well, would probably be how you would categorise me. Um, did you have an input in Susan's songs for the first album because her cover of Wild Horses, one of the most spectacular things I've ever heard. Well, someone at the record company... Um, chose that and um she was uh, she was quite young and she was you know she I think she was quite junior in her post at, at that point mm. and she chose that song and I think it did her a lot Aye, of good in the record company she's nailed because, it because um you know it was a great choice um you've you've said before in in various interviews over the years that you find just you think you've got a very mater- you don't think you know you've got a very maternal instinct do you think that helps transcend or like solidify or or create a relationship that goes beyond just client and or coach and client if that makes sense because everybody you work with seems to have a real affection towards you and you can be as great as you want as your job great at your job as you want sorry but I think there's there's surely got to be something more does that make sense it does make sense because I think it's probably as important as the singing technique. Yes, the singing technique's important, but I, I think that I get more out of my um, singers because they trust me. Mm-hmm. And because if they come in, I can tell, right, what's up with you today? Yeah. You know, oh, I've split up with my boyfriend. Oh, how did that happen? And then we'll have a cry and then they feel <laughs> yeah, better yeah. and then we can manage to sing. Whereas if we don't have that chat and they don't feel they know me well enough to say that bit then I'm never going to get the bottom of why you're not Just singing about, well. Because your robotic. voice is yourself. Mm. You know, it's not like you're playing the piano and you can be in a really bad mood or really upset. You play the piano, you'll still manage to get the notes right. But when you're singing, you're, if you're really emotional, you're not going to be able to sing very well at all. Mm. So you're kind of a bit of a life coach as well. It's like a, a vocal I think, coach. I think so. It's funny, really, because, I, I, you know, I don't know what the qualifications are for a life coach, but um, but I certainly do a bit of that, but unqualified Life coach. Yeah. Do you, does that, do you think that helps? Or how, how do new clients even come about? Do they come in recommendations or do you work with the label and they'll say, we're going to send artists X, Y and Z? Like, or is it a mix of those things? It's a mix. Mm. I mean, I just suddenly get, you know, a phone call from somebody and they go, oh, we've recommended so-and-so to you. Mm. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of the time it's, it's you know, such a compliment that they, do, that they have. Yeah. And I don't know how they know. I mean, it's maybe a producer I've worked with mm. and I've been in the studio doing vocal production. The producer's seen how I've, what I've brought out the singer. So then if there's another singer in the studio and they're not getting the best out of them, then they say, oh, phone up Evie or, you know, it, it's just... And then obviously there's people who've known over the years. Oh, what about that Scottish woman? That... Yeah, yeah. And then you know, once you once you work with high profile singers, you get more work. Yeah. You know, I, whether you're good or bad, you still get more work. So if, you, if you're getting the job you know, done, it's... they're going to be coming back. Um, I was going to ask you about artists that you that pe- maybe people wouldn't be aware that you'd worked with. I suppose want to mention now because we're talking about him and the team earlier. You're working with Lewis Capaldi just now on his tour. What's that like? It's crazy. It's everything you'd expect. Lewis is exactly the same off stage as he is on stage. I mean, he's just 
done that brilliant documentary and that everyone good, knows everyone knows the real Lewis now. You know that he's funny and, you know, that's the way he almost hides the fact that, you know, he has a lot of a lot of um, problems with anxiety oh. and all that. So so now I think everyone knows that. They knew already, but yeah. I think we have really seen the real Lewis. So that's exactly what it's like. But most of the time, 90% of the time, he is the funniest guy. Yeah, it's because um, I always felt, I don't know if it was maybe sort of in the back of the mind when he's making jokes or kind of being self-deprecating or a bit self-effacing, you're like, Ah, you mean that? Like you're you're being serious, and it's kind of a way of preempting it and absorbing the bullet before somebody can fire or it. Someone at you. else does it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame. I think that's true. I think a lot of people do that, don't they? I oh think yeah, it's, I it's, do. Uh, yeah, and I think it's a comedian thing as well. You know, you you get comedians who are very funny on the outside and very sad inside. Oh, I'm not saying Lewis is. Thing, yeah, yeah, I'm not saying Lewis is sad. He's not. He's a really happy guy. But yeah, yeah. but you know, there's um, you can cover a lot with comedy. Yeah, you would. Oh God, you're going to definitely have a lot of vulnerabilities if you just go from zero to hundred. In fact, one of my one of my pals, Craig, works as like his promoter for right. shows. Oh, yeah, 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 no, Craig, Craig Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eh? And Craig was saying that because we were talking about the oh fuck, what's it called again? Um, how I'm feeling now. The yeah. new tune, and I was saying I was like, by the way, absolutely love it. And we were chatting about it, and he's like. The guy has gone from zero to a hundred. These like other artists get to do a support at an arena and dip the toe, and I'm like, okay, this is kind of how it goes. Like you just flung him in the deep end and it, and put a couple of ten kilo weights to his legs and went right swim. It's, that, must it must be was, very difficult. It was, um, you know, we're talking about what happens to Susan Boyle. It's the same sort of thing. Yeah. You know, you you're like, it's not an overnight success, but it was seemingly that. Mm-hmm. I was on tour with Sam Smith, and we're doing a world tour. We were, you know, we were all over the place, and. Um, I was coaching Sam, obviously, and and saw the cover at the support arts every night. But um, I didn't pay that much attention because it's like a busman's holiday. You're not always going to go out and listen to the support arts. <laughs> but then Lewis came along in Europe and I thought, who's this guy? And uh, I stood by the side of the stage every night listening because mm. it was just something about the way he sang and the songs. And I loved it. Absolutely loved mm. it. Um, and I mean, I didn't work with him you know, much, you know, straight away after that. But eventually we met up again and then we started yeah. working. But uh, I remember distinctly the first time I heard him thinking, this guy has got something special. And that yeah. was just him starting out, first support. And then from that, literally within a year, he was huge himself. It's mental, isn't it? It's funny. And you can, I think you can break it down, critique it, analyse it. And I think you'd still never be able to explain it. Some things just, maybe just bound, they're just meant to happen. Yeah. Interesting. Um, that kind of takes me to circle something that you said that stood out to me. Showmanship is 50% of, of any artist's success. So I suppose that's probably a, a good example of that. Who, who are the other people that you've worked with that would stand out in that sense where you would, you know, like if you've got your, your dinner table anecdotes of who, who was the, the biggest star or showman? Or... I think that... It's a difficult one to say now because if you are on, say, we're talking about the shows like The X Factor. If you're on The X Factor and you stand there and you're very shy and you're really not able to walk across the stage and you've not got that extra something, yeah. the public will go, oh, they were really wooden or mm. the judges will say it and, and there's something you're not going to get on. But if you have got a great song and your record company sign you up and they really like you, yeah. they will give you 
performance coaching, yeah, singing yeah, yeah. coaching. They'll help you with what you've got to say to your audience. They'll, so you get all that stuff to bring it out ah, of you. So, you get- so sometimes, you know, somebody who's maybe not got it naturally can be given a lot of that staging, dancers behind them. You know, you could see with the X Factor Acts, the ones that um, they were helping because mm-hmm. there'd be fireworks and dancers and, yeah, you know, ones right, that they okay. were saying they need a bit of encouragement yeah, yeah. and a bit of distraction from the fact actually they're not doing much. So it's hard sometimes to see who's a really good showman and mm. who's not. But, um, you know, I work with, um, I'll tell you, a band that I work with, uh, Kasabian, oh, yeah. Serge, you know, Serge. And he's is, stepped up oh, to the plate, hasn't he? He has stepped up to the plate. And I watched Serge and, and he was very, I mean, he came to me because he had to step up to the plate and mm-hmm. he knew he was having to become front man. And he was worried about it because, you know, yeah. it was like, wow, it's a big step to do that. Especially when the front man has already existed. For anybody that's unaware, the front man, Thomas Meehan, who pronounced his name, had that domestic abuse incident which is a whole other messy story but stepped away from the band and so it's one thing to be a front man but to replace the pre-existing front man is like an extra layer of pressure sure. because the music sounds a certain way in in people's heads and um so so we were working you know like like you know to get him confident with his voice but then the first gig that we that we did mm-hmm. you know after I went to the first gig and oh my word I just I was yeah, just blown it, away with Serge because he's probably one of the best showmen mm. in the business. You know, the way he jumps around that stage and he managed to do that and still sound amazing. Yeah. So so I would say he's a way up there with the showman. And I think that there's a lot more to come, you know, and the new stuff with Kasabian. Yeah, they are such a great band. Because the new stuff will then be his. Yeah. And well, this... he's written a lot of the stuff anyway, but mm-hmm. but very much so, as you say. And they're lovely guys, all of them. But mm-hmm. Serge is just one of my favourite people to work with. But what a showman. As you were saying, all that... The, the description of the dancers, the patter, the moving about the stage. You made me think of Rod Stewart. Me and Craig went to see Rod in right. oh, like December or something. Our pal was in the band supporting him. And uh, he was just amazing. And vocally, I'm sure Rod doesn't give a shit and I'm sure he wouldn't disagree. But vocally, wasn't he? If you think of the, the when it was released at the time. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is fine. I mean, it's decades and decades apart. But that did make up for it. And you're like, as the whole package, I walked away going, wow. There you go. Amazing. So it's that whole thing. And that's why we had a show called The X Factor. Mm. Because The X Factor is what it's all about. You can have a best. Somebody was saying, um, there was a quote I saw recently, um, Quincy Jones Mm. had said, you know, you can have an amazing, amazing song and you give it to a not a great singer, but Mm. an okay singer. And it could still be a hit. Yeah. Whereas you can have an, a fabulous singer, one of the top singers in the world, give them a rubbish song, it's still not going to be a hit. Yeah, the song is what makes it, and and or the performance of you mm-hmm. know. Because talking about that with the performance making it and somebody sort of having it all together again brings me back to something else that you'd said previously. On the surface, I pretend to have it together. The reality is, I'm very muddled. You said that in 2016. Me? Yes. About myself. About yourself. I'm sure you did. You said it to your pal. See when you're on the podcast um, about the handbag. 
Remember? Oh my word! It was about seven years ago. Like a detective. Oh yes, nothing gets past me. Detective stroke stalker. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know about that. The, the lines are—it's a fine line, and I think I've got a foot in both camps. To be honest, I, I listen to, I find out everything anybody's oh, ever my said. Word. But that's why you're so good at what you do because you're telling me things I didn't remember or know, you know. And yeah. and what's interesting. So what did I say? You, Tell me. You said that on the surface <laughs> you pretend to have it together, and the reality is that you're very muddled at times. Maybe at that time you felt that way, but that. That then made me think when you said that, I thought, well, maybe that's why you can understand other people when you're getting helping them get themselves together. And because you were saying a big part of again, it's 50% showmanship, which to me also means confidence and belief in yourself. Um, which kind of leads me on to the show uh, that you've got coming out in BBC Scotland. Um, well, hopefully, I'm not muddled in that. No, no, you're not, <laughs> but I suppose the people are because people are a wee bit down in the log. I mean, I'll let you explain it if you don't mind what the show is, what people can expect, when when they're going to be able to see it. Well, as you say, um, from what you were saying about, about, you know, quoting me saying that, I think that's the thing with us all. You know, we go through times in our life where we can put on an act that we're really confident and actually mm. we're not. You know, and and some people they they just can't even put on that act. Yeah. They just got they just got nothing left. You know, and and but we felt with this show, Scotland sings. Um, we the main reason was that we felt every time there's a show, people are wanting to be signed up to be a big superstar. But there's a lot of people who are out there. They would like to be able to just sing. Mm. They'd be a, like to be able to do a little gig or, or you know, step outside their house and go to a choir. But they just don't have the confidence. Mm. And then there's people who, you know, I was lucky. You, we, we, we've discussed that I could, um, you know, you can kind of do it all. You can mm. do your job, or you can, and you can have children. There's some people who have to do their job. They kind of go out. Yeah. and become a singer because they've got no money if they do and they, they haven't got they've got kids other they've got to look after yeah. them they've got other things so they've never had that chance in life and I was lucky I went and studied singing I had time to do it and I had you know I was given that opportunity how many people have now? Well that's it because I always think about stuff as well people that are just to take to to bring it back to me the most important thing ever of not, course don't mean that but people will say Oh, this is great, you're working hard. And I always think, yeah, no, I have worked hard and stuff, but I have to acknowledge I've been fucking lucky as well. Yeah, yeah. And you have to acknowledge luck and acknowledge to. good fortune. I think the minute you don't, you're like, right, you disappear and not be on arse a wee bit because every single person who's done well has had luck. I don't care who you are, you've had luck or good fortune or something, the stars have aligned. And good for you. I mean, I think it's it's a case of really successful people saying, oh, I've worked really hard to be here. Yeah, we Well, but so has the the... The bin man, bin person, yeah, yeah. who has got another job in the evening, you exactly. know, um, waiting in the restaurant and whatever, just to just to make the money. You know, there's a lot of people who work hard and who never have success. Yeah. And um, with Scotland Sings, we kind of thought there's a lot of people who deserve a chance. So yeah. they've got to be able to sing. There were two factors. They had to be able to sing. That's me, fuck. They had to be able, that's you, you, were, <laughs> you weren't picked. Um, but also we felt it would help them yeah. as well as help us. Mm. So whether it was because they had a disability, so they couldn't have come out, or whether they just had lost their confidence, whether yeah. something had happened in their life, you know, they'd had a bereavement or, you know, they just hadn't had that chance in life because financially they couldn't. Many, many reasons from all the different people in the choir. But, yeah. but each one of them and every one of them, we have sort of, we feel we've helped them. You know, that was the plan. Yeah. That was the plan. And that's what I hope the public can really see. Oh, my goodness, that person 
deserved that and it's done them good Def- when is episode one out in BBC Scotland is it next week so on the 27th yeah. it's out on the BBC um, Scotland channel mm-hmm. and then it'll be repeated on the Sunday oh, it's the 27th of Thursday <laughs> so the Sunday is 28th, 30th right. with, on um, on BBC One Scotland I, I don't endorse or say this was great if it wasn't because I've seen it uh, Hilda very kindly gave me access Ooh. to the BBC back if you're as important as me everybody you get to watch things there like normally joking I got to watch it ahead of time I loved it like it was it was it was life affirming it was nice you get emotional watching it I have been asked not to go into detail of it too many people who are involved but each person I would describe as deserving some of them down in the luck as we all can be, and it was just, it was lovely. And it all culminates in, am I allowed to say what it culminates in? Well, I don't know. I mean, what did Hilda say to you? She just said, don't be talking about person's X, Y, and Z. <laughs> Every time I speak to Hilda, she's like, don't say this, this and this, please. I'm like, cool, yeah. It culminates in a performance. That, at a very that, iconic venue. Uh, uh, that, and they, but they don't know this. Oh, right, yeah. So, yeah. you know, they, they didn't know what they were putting um, themselves, you know, putting themselves up for, really. But have you watched both episodes? First episode. You've watched the first episode. Yeah. Ah, so you don't know the full story. Oh, so are you going to tune in the week later for the second? Oh, I've, I can watch, as you see on my laptop, I've got oh, it right here. Oh, so yeah, no, you're... I'll you're watch that tonight. In, yeah, it is great. And I mean, I think that, that um, episode one, you feel oh my goodness, these people deserve this. And yeah, it's just so yeah. fascinating to watch the stories of, of you know, them coming together and, and doing all this. But then episode two, um, you're going to cry. Yeah, and by the way, I, I cry. I was getting emotional just see, finding out their stories and stuff. And oh. Even seeing them singing. It was great. It was really good. What I liked, there was something you said as well. You were like, there's no... There's no humiliation. There's no laughing at anybody. This is a, it's a wholesome, and, and they're there because they've earned it as well. Because as you say, because they can sing. It's not just a, oh, poor you and you come. No. It's like, you've got the talent and you deserve this Yeah, there had to be both. I didn't want it to be like um, charity. I didn't want them to yeah. feel like, oh, I'm only there because I've got a soap story. No. I wanted them to be there because they were good singers, but also the story mm. meant that they deserve to be there. So there's the two things together. And it is such a brilliant mosaic as well of people. You like a lot of these people they've got like in a sense have got little to nothing in common apart from the fact they're all great singers. It fascinated me. We um watched I mean this will become apparent in the show that I had to that I was doing the first editions via Zoom. Mm. Um and that was for a few reasons, A, it was easier because obviously we were, people come from all over Scotland. But B, we felt that a lot of these TV shows, the scary bit is the first edition. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're humiliated if you don't sing well or if you you get a response that you that you don't like. But so we felt, you know, let's do it on Zoom. You're in your own house. You oh, can yeah. sing to me and they just send it. And you know what I mean? There's so it no wasn't, pressure. It wasn't a sort of covid type thing then? It was just no, like... No, it was, it was just that we felt that takes away the nerves and I'm getting a much truer sense of who can sing I feel when they're in their own house, in see, their own comfort zone. Doing something like that, that audition must be a wee bit like jumping out of a plane. Absolutely petrifying. And then once you do it and you get the reward, you're like, oh, I should have done that before now. It probably takes away a lot of fear in other areas of their lives as well. 
I think a lot of people, if you think about it, you're in your own house and you've, mm. you know, you're like all relaxed. Oh, I'll just yeah. send that in. Oh, no, 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 send <laughs> yeah. it in. And then you get a letter <laughs> saying you got through. You go, oh, no, I kind of did that, you know. Yeah. So I think a lot of them were not expecting to get through or even to have their, their, yeah. um, video looked at you know putting them out of their comfort zone as well because early on in the first episode there was when you're doing the, the vocal warm-ups i mean done and you give them the opportunity you're like right you come up and do it and they get their face with this everybody's looking at them they're like oh shit i've never done this before but it just shows sometimes giving people that push like go and do it like go and swim because you can people are fascinating and this is a real kind of almost like an experiment in um human different human characters and seeing that when a lot of people who are vulnerable in different ways are put together, it's extraordinary what happens. Mm. The fact that others, some of them rise above and look after Mm. the others. Some of them, you know, are happy to be looked after by everyone else. Some of them become the mother figure. Some of them become, uh, oh, I'll organise everyone. Um, It's just fascinating. It makes me wonder, do the roles just exist in community and people step into them? Or do those roles or personas exist in people and they're brought out when they're in a group setting? It's It's very interesting. And I had never, when we started doing the show, I never thought that this is what we would be seeing. Mm. This fascinating, it's fascinating just to see the friendships that developed and unusual friendships. Remove the music element and it's a bit like a big brother experiment. It is very much so. And they all just start opening up and... You're like, oh my goodness, they've forgotten they're on the telly. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, did you, do you think you've learned from it? Because, like, or have you learned anything? You think I'm now going to apply that into to my coaching with people? Because again, you're seeing these different vulnerabilities, or maybe you're able to recognise certain nuances or aspects in people's sort of persona. I think it was um, very much the other way around. In that, I realise it's what I do every day yeah, with right. my singers mm-hmm. and that I could apply what I do with a famous singer in the same way as I could apply it with somebody who's never done it mm. because we're all as vulnerable as each other. I mean, that's mm. the thing, you know, you were saying I said that on a podcast. Well, I must have been having a day where I was vulnerable. Of course yeah, I'm yeah. vulnerable. Of course there's days where I feel like, oh no, I don't want to go and let anybody see me because I've got a spot and a put on weight or whatever. You know, we're all like that. Yeah, that's something I've realised because like if I ever maybe a good example of that is someone says like what type of person were you at school and I always say I was every single character you can think of because it's a, it fluctuates sometimes you're top of the pile other times you're feeling I don't know you're not feeling yourself and you feel as if you're at the bottom other times you're middle of the road sometimes you're the class clown sometimes you're like oh I'm working hard although that was me for like maybe three days at a time every year usually the first few days after the summer holidays and then after five days I go nah fun it just shows you that that all exams and stuff is a load of rubbish Mm. because you know you can be somebody that doesn't do well at school doesn't really work hard at school but they know what they like doing and then they they leave school and they do the thing they like and they just soar yeah you could be somebody who's really good at school they got all their exams and they've kind of burned themselves out because they weren't interested in anything you know and they're just they just they haven't had time to develop their personality because they've been so busy studying so i think um you know what you're saying we're all it's you never can tell what somebody's going to be like yeah it's true fascination 
fascination of the human psyche. I know. Well, that's what we get in Scotland sings. We get a lot of that. Yeah, so pe- make sure you're watching it. So where Thursday the 27th of Thursday April? Thursday 27th and then the following Sunday um, repeated. It's always repeated on the Sunday yeah. afternoon because we're on at 10 o'clock at night on the Thursday. Um, so that's good if you're up watching. I think um, it's on the other channel, but I think um, we don't... I think it's um, South African in the jungle. You know, oh, there was yeah, it, yeah. Um, I'm I celeb. forgot about that, yeah. I think that's on at nine o'clock on BBC One and then mm. change over. Straight into it, it. Um, ITV and then change over to BBC One. Yes, and and take you can take my word for it. I would never lie to you. I would always tell you the truth. I'm telling you, it's brilliant. It's definitely worth watching. Um, one of my final questions, kind of unrelated, um, but just kind of sprung up. With all the people you work with, mega stars for Nicole Scherzinger to Sam Smith to Lewis Capaldi, One Direction, and this isn't a slight on them, but when you see their lives and everything that goes along with it, are you glad that that's not you? Or would do you sometimes think, hey, I would like to be front and centre as well? I think there's always, if if I'm just being really honest, you know, and I've spent this whole time with you, so I feel like, you know, you and I are chatting away and I just be honest. There are times when I miss being the singer, being mm. out there, being the one who has my makeup done and my hair done and got yeah, the outfit yeah. on and, and you know, have the applause because that's what I always did. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why I like doing TV because you still get that little bit of adrenaline. You know, yeah. you're doing TV or you're the doing an interview up, or, or a live TV show or whatever, your heart rate goes up. And I think as a, a performer, you need that adrenaline. Yeah. But I certainly don't have any jealousy for the life that, that the lead people are superstars because it is full on. You know, mm. you never get, you'll be out for your dinner and, you know, people are asking you for autographs. They're saying, oh, sorry to interrupt. If you're that sorry, that you wouldn't have fucking done it then. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Sorry to interrupt. And then they just do interrupt and you're, they're literally taking a mouthful. Yeah. Um. So I think that's hard. And just sometimes when you just want to be inconspicuous or yeah. just keep to yourself you can't so so no nah, I'm not needing that but I'm yeah. quite happy with a wee bit of performance now and then it, it probably that you'll also have the comfort of knowing whether you might not want to say this but I think I, I will say it on your behalf and I bet you all of them would if they're around the table that you're probably one of the most fundamental cogs in their machine and having that level of not importance but knowing like yeah I am a vital part of this this whole thing that must ease not have it not being front and centre all the time it is funny you say that because we're just talking about you know we were talking about Lewis's um, documentary and how we've all got that um, syndrome where we you know what's it called imposter, um, imposter syndrome. syndrome we've all got that oh I'm just waiting see every time I do a TV show I'm waiting for somebody to tap me go mate time's yeah. up and sometimes <laughs> you know I'll be at some great big thing and I think what the heck am I doing here you yeah. know so we all get that and I think you were we were talking about Scottish people the way we're brought up we're not brought up to think oh I'm so important yeah they yeah. can't do without me I never think that yeah you see know? I think that's a good thing it's imposter syndrome but I think if you flip it around and just change your perspective slightly it's like no you're just it's humility well, maybe, I suppose. Well, that's good then if us Scottish people have got a bit of humility. But you're just one one uh, cog in it. You know, there's many, many people. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got, uh, as we were saying, we've got a mutual friend called P-Doc who, who does a lot with, with Lewis Capaldi. There's him, there's the management, there's the, yeah. you know, there's the band, there's the there's the guys who build the stage. We're all part of it. You'd yeah. miss every single one of us if we weren't there. And I think it's hard. When you're doing that kind of job, I don't like to think that one person's more important than any other, apart from the act. Yeah. Know? So we're just part of the team and I love being part of a team. 
I think that's one thing as a self-employed person who works with a load of different people. You do miss being part of a team, like somebody who is working in a normal job. So, I like, do you ever miss? I like that. I only got to my first, because I've been self-employed for quite a few years now, and I only got to my first Christmas party. The Christmas there for like in years, because my last one would have been 2014. That was the last time I worked in like a company where I would have been at a, a Christmas party. See that that people wouldn't realise that know, they would buzzing. think, why are you missing that? No, honestly, I totally get you. Yeah, you're kind of left out of things mm. because you're not, you know, when like you're in your workplace and it's your birthday and everyone brings in a cake. When nobody's doing that for us, you sit there with one wee place. muffin, one solitary candle, <laughs> pathetic. <laughs> No, I know. There's there's something to be said for working in, you know, in a big company, but um, yeah, community, community. Like. But um, there's a lot of community spirit in Scotland sings. There is in, in that. the choir. So if you're wanting that, watch Scotland sings. So you've got to get in a wee more another wee plug. That is it. No, it's, it's definitely worth a watch. It's great, and I think people enjoy it. Just not as much as have enjoyed this conversation, but that's no slight on the on the program. <laughs> Only joke, not be the other way around. Uh, now this has been absolutely brilliant. Thank you for coming all the way to. Thank you so much. I just said I've just sort of forgotten we're doing a podcast. I just sitting there hanging out with a mate. I forgot about that as well. <laughs> uh, no, it's been great. You've been absolutely brilliant. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank for, you for for coming. And thank you as always for listening. And we'll be back same time next week with another episode of Blethered. Cheers. Leathered was written and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine. And for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series, including Talk Media, Natural Wonders, You Could Start a Fight in an Empty House, Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug and Old School. All on the Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.